You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Welcome to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I'm just so happy to have you with me here today. Here on the podcast, we explore discovering you on the journey through. And what that means to me is I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about angry parenting, and I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, but I know there might be somebody sitting in this podcasting booth raising her hand (laughs) who struggles with this issue. So I know for myself, this frustrated, triggered parenting thing had been going on for a while, and I didn't even realize that it was happening. I have definitely had a more frustrated approach to parenting my kids, and it happened before my divorce. I thought, though, that I was just enacting really solid discipline, and in the midst of it, though, I could start to feel like something was off, and some of the things that I was doing, I knew were not working, and it wasn't until after my divorce that I started to have a sense that it might actually be hurting my kids the way that I was approaching discipline. And so what I started to see was how in their pain and their grief as they process the divorce, how the various tactics that I tried to parent really made a difference, not just in their overall attitudes towards me and obedience and things like that, but just in the way that they perceived themselves. And I'm excited to have today's guests on. I'm speaking with Amber, Leah, and Wendy speak. These women are incredible and wrote a phenomenal book called Triggers, Exchanging Parents' Angry Reactions for Gentle Biblical Responses. Their emphasis towards parenting is to take mothering from heated to holy. And in this conversation, we're going to identify triggers. We're going to talk about the ones that definitely come from your kid's behavior, but also might be inside of you. And then also how to create a plan around how to handle those triggered moments and to see them as opportunities to connect with our kids as we grow alongside of them. Part of what is so triggering about parenting alone, especially, is the fact that we're going through these overwhelming moments, and it's just reminding us of the fact that we are doing this alone. And that makes us just have to deal with this overwhelming sense of loneliness on top of everything that we're going through. And so what I have done is spent a lot of time reading and researching to figure out ways that we can move through those feelings of loneliness and get to a place where our lives just feel fulfilling and fun no matter where we are when it comes to a relationship. And so what I've done is created a quiz called What's Your Loneliness Type that tells you a little bit about your unique experience with loneliness because the root causes are different for all of us. And when you take that quiz, then you have the ability to start on a journey to learn more about what you can do to improve your life by changing some of your thought patterns and your behaviors to move out of this place of loneliness into this place of a vibrant and exciting life. And if you want to start on that quiz, you can go to agapemoms.com forward slash quiz and take that today. 
As we launch into the conversation today, I do want to tell you a little bit about Amber and Wendy. Amber is the mother of four sons, and she says that she lives in a testoster home. And she and her husband, Guy, have been married for 11 years. And she has a bachelor's in English literature from the Master's College and a master's in leadership and educational administration from Grand Canyon University. Wendy and her husband, Matt, have three ruddy boys, and during this hands-full, hearts-full season, Wendy works intentionally to balance her home life and ministry well. Between the two of these women, they've written some incredible books, and we'll talk a little bit about them in the conversation, and I will have links to them in the show notes. Here is my conversation with Amber Leah and Wendy Speak. Amber and Wendy, I am so thrilled to have you joining me today. This topic of triggers and kind of frustrated, angry parenting is something I know that I have struggled with in my own life, but it's definitely something that I hear repeatedly from women in our community. And I found that your book just clearly addresses those things that do set us off, but also give us hope that there's opportunity, no matter how far we've gone down the road with our kids, that we can turn that right around. I want to dive right in firstly by talking about how we can shift from this place of anger or triggered parenting into looking at more of what you call an agape mindset or an agape response in our parenting. And really, what does that mean? Well, you know, Wendy and I, we we come at you from a, a place of experience, unfortunately, <laughs> with, with anger and frustration. I think that's why Wendy and I connected so quickly when we first met each other. We had a lot of things in common. We also had in common this backstory of our own lives as moms. And between us, we have seven boys. So we're boy moms, yeah. but we're girls. We call them, we call them seven triggers, seven <laughs> <Yeah>. little triggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I call my house a testoster home. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a female black Labrador. So that's the only thing that saves me. But we love our boys and we are girls. So we relate to the girl moms of that sense too. But we had our own struggles with things that would just set us off, you know, whether it was their behavior. You know, we talk about two categories of triggers, internal triggers and external triggers. You know, sometimes the things that would upset me we're having a messy house, you know, just the external clutter that comes with having kids and and you're not always prepared for how to handle that. Nobody really teaches you that in your birthing classes. Like, okay, now when they turn two and all their toys are everywhere and you've tripped over them, uh, how do you handle that? That's when you need Lamaze, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, need to deep breathing when you've stepped that's on a right. Lego for the 400th time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and but, you know, we talk about the internal triggers too. Sometimes we're just tired. We're not getting enough sleep. You know, we're not um, those internal things that maybe have nothing to do with my kids. And then we get frustrated. And when Wendy and I were raising our kids when they were young, we recognized we weren't really living life to the full as God intended as moms, because we were in this sort of reactionary state, um, parenting in the aftermath of conflict, and it wasn't working. And so we just both uh, on our own personal journeys, which we talk about in our books, invited the Holy Spirit in to work on us. 
because we spent a lot of time, too much time trying to fix our kids and that wasn't working. And so we had to recognize and our, our, our ministry is really about not trying to fix and change our kids, not trying to remove all the triggers, but as a starting point, foundationally looking at how do I respond to these triggers in a gentle biblical way, because the triggers are probably always going to be there in one way or another. Well, and for single moms, as you mentioned, those triggers there, whether they're the kids or things that are external, they just seem ever present, especially for dealing with conflict ongoing from an ex-partner, ex-spouse, whatever the case is. And very many times the trigger can even be the sense that when something frustrating happens with our child, we feel this is not fair. I'm dealing with this alone. And that reactionary propensity just fills our households. And we know that we're setting our kids off. They're setting us off and it just goes around and around. And I do appreciate the way that you looked at the fact that triggers can come from either side, but that if we allow the way that we address our kids to be something that changes us first, that it really does lead the way. And I've seen just in the few things I've implemented from your book, how that's totally been the case. And so we'll dive into some of those triggers and that kind of thing. One of the things you talk about is the fact that as a starting point, a lot of us have unrealistic expectations when it comes to disobedience, whether it was the way we were raised or just how dare you disrespect me or those Mm -hmm. kinds of things that we tend to think that we're supposed to instill this first time always obedience into our kids. And that if we looked at that differently, that maybe we'd have an easier go of this. So can you talk about how we can reform that expectation and how then our triggers can actually become opportunities for us. Mm, I love it that you said that. That's one of the things that Amber says so clearly in the book is that we do need to start seeing triggers as opportunities. Um, One of the ways that I've said it with my husband here in our home is when our kids do wrong, we need to do right. And we need to invite our children to do right with us. However, The natural man, the natural mom tendency is when our kids do wrong, we respond in like. They do wrong, Mm. so we do wrong. Thinking that if we do wrong louder and with more passion and authority, we're going to actually train them to do right. And it it makes no sense. And we can chuckle about the absurdity of it, but it's such a heartbreak. And that's why we get to the end of our days and we feel so lousy is because we know We know that's the wrong way to do it. So one of the things that we say here in our home, between my my, um, husband and I, and I've said it with my mom, um, is when my kids do wrong, what they're telling me is, hey, mom, you're not done parenting me yet. Hmm. I'm, I'm reminded of the verse that says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's older, he won't depart from it. And yet Amber knows that so often I confess that the natural tendency is to berate them for going the wrong way rather than to continue training them to Mm -hmm. go the right way. And so one of the things that Amber and I constantly come back to in our parenting is, okay, once I can pinpoint what my triggers are, what would training look like? What would Mm -hmm. ongoing training look like? What would long suffering training look like? So if it is a matter of sibling rivalry, okay, when I'm not in that moment, can I pinpoint for myself, what, what would a better response be? And, and then I can be ready with what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do in the effort to train rather than to berate, rather than to shame, rather than to threaten, rather than to 
you know, whatever thing we're feeling like. I think so often, like you think of uh, little ones getting out of bed at night or getting up from nap time. I don't want to nap. And, you know, first you threaten a spanking, then you, you um, incentivize them with a lollipop if they'd sleep, then you, you, then you get angry, then you crawl in bed and you fall asleep with them and how mm-hmm. inconsistent that is. So when we can pinpoint what the trigger is, we can start to craft, we can start to prepare the response that we're going to give. And that's really at the heart of training them rather than just reacting. Because when they melt down, we melt down. When they right. whine and complain, we whine and complain. When they roll their eyes, we often roll our eyes and, and yell, how dare you roll your eyes? And it doesn't move us any closer to uh, inviting them up into maturity because we've joined them in their immaturity. And I found that was so compelling about the way you set up the book at the beginning was talking about the fact that love is long suffering. Love is patient that in order for our kids to understand what unconditional love looks like in our parenting and in our lives, that we're modeling it for them by first absorbing it in our own lives in the way that God loves us and then being able to pour that out on them. And so often I feel like it turns into do as I say and not as I do. And there's so much though that can come from us walking like arm in arm with our kids and saying, no, I see where you're struggling. Let me help coach you through that. And you do talk about that, that we should look at our parenting role so much more as a coach. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, that, that was a um, life-changing thing for me when I w- began my journey toward more gentle parenting and asking God for wisdom. And, and this is just a little piece of encouragement I want to give to all the moms out there is that God promises to give us wisdom when we ask for it. You know, I, Wendy and I didn't necessarily have this modeled. We didn't go to classes about this, but we were really, really prayerful. And we really, really believed what God says in his word. And so we counted on him to give us wisdom. And so one of the things that I sensed the Lord whispering to my heart when I was so frustrated and upset and not knowing what to do as a mom was he just gave me this, this image of being a mom as coach. And this is where it gets really practical because I saw this pattern. I was like, okay, what's not working in your parenting, Amber? You keep getting upset whenever they trigger you or something triggers you. And then you're parenting in the aftermath of conflict. And I would ask myself, Amber, are you teachable when you're upset? No, you're not. And you're a grown woman. Why are you expecting your young child or your hormonal teenager to be receptive when you're in a a tense moment? It, It just was illogical for me to have this high expectation of maturity Mm-hmm. in immature children. And so what I recognized was that when I had a coach in different sporting events or music or choir or whatever it was, I looked at the pattern of how they got me from point A of immaturity or inexperience to point B of progress to point C of now I get to perform. Now's the, the moment where I get to shine or not so shine. And move on. And so I just thought, okay, whatever the trigger is, you know, it was really overwhelming for me to look and see, okay, I have 15 issues as a mom. This is hopeless. I'm just going to keep going in the same direction I'm going. I didn't want to do that. So I just took one at a time and I thought, okay, I'm going to coach my kids through this particular issue. If it was a messy house or getting, you know, being late out the door every morning was such a trigger for me. 
And, and often the reason we were late as I examined this trigger was because nobody could find their shoes. And I wish that I had been that mom that figured this out earlier on, but I wasn't, it took me a minute. And I finally just got a couple big baskets that I keep by the front door. Aesthetically, I don't love the way that looks, but it works for me. So everybody puts their shoes in the basket when they come in the door and everybody sits down to put their shoes on before they go out the door. And that way we're not running late because nobody can find their shoes. And then I didn't just assume they knew how to put their shoes in the basket. You would think that a teenager knows to do that, but they don't always. So, you know, what do good coaches do? They evaluate the situation. They look at the strengths or the weaknesses of their pupil, and then they put into place practices for them before they show up at the moment of competition. I wasn't doing that in my parenting. I was just expecting them to know, not modeling, not coaching, not training, not teaching, and also not giving it enough time to sink in. You know, I I mean, if we're doing some of these strategies and after five days, we're like, it's not working and we give up, you know, we're we're not being long suffering. We're not being patient. These are opportunities to really live out the fruit of the spirit as well. You know, have empathy, show compassion, teach and train with loving kindness, teach and train with patience. And after we've modeled it, at a time when we don't need to be anywhere in a hurry. Hey guys, we're going to practice this. Let's yeah. go get your shoes, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. go get your shoes. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then even just knowing our kids, you know, I've got a kid that's very easily distracted. He's not trying to disobey me. It's just that on the way to the door, he sees 10 shiny objects that he right. really <laughs> wants to go explore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, you know, all right, I don't need to be so hard on him. He's not trying to press my buttons. He's just got a unique personality that's very different from mine. And so just looking at all those things, knowing I need to give that kiddo an extra five minute warning when it's before we leave. He needs that extra five minutes to explore his surroundings on his way to the front door. So it's just these really practical, break it down kinds of things and work on one trigger at a time for a while. One of the things in what you're saying too, that I appreciate so much is there's two parts of this especially as it pertained to yelling and, and just the tendency, as you said, to harp and all that kind of thing. The first thing is that we should expect repetition, expect frequent opportunities, <laughs> expect that they're not going to grab it. And so if we expect that, then we don't become so frustrated. And then beyond that, that there's a proactivity in that too, that it is, I have a method to train or to practice mm-hmm. or in, in that time where there's no frustration, there's no clock ticking down, you know, nothing like that, that could pull on their emotions that we give opportunities for like those small wins, those little successes that happen and that they understand that there's goodness and reward that comes out of of that practice and of doing it well, as you said, with excellence and just setting them up for success, Mm -hmm. but all the while understanding that they have limitation, that they, whether it's a personality limitation an immaturity limitation, whatever that case might be that when we shift our mind to that and then work with it instead of against it, that that can be so powerful. Yeah. And can I just say, there's a difference between, um, expecting and knowing that there will be a repetition of triggers as long as we're parenting. I say in triggers that it takes a childhood to parent a child. So that's 18 years at least, right? Our job is not going to be done tomorrow. We don't, Mm -hmm. we're not such amazing parents that we teach these lessons. And by the time they're six, they're done. And our job is done. It takes the childhood. 
So there is that perseverance mindset, but it's not a, I'm expecting the worst mindset. Yeah. There's a big difference. failure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. and, and actually when I flipped that kind of language, just in the way I spoke to my kids and, and Wendy and I have written another really good follow-up book called Parenting Scripts, when what you're saying isn't working say something new because we wanted to give people really practical things that were based in scripture to actually say in some of these moments. But one of the things that I talk about is actually breathing life into our kids. We know we could be triggered. We know the immaturity is going to continue. We know our job is going to take a childhood of time to accomplish, but we can also breathe life and put a positive spin on things. One of the things I did very practically early on, and I still do this, is, you know, we'd be on the way to school or on our way to church. And it works when my kids are two and it works when they're 13 is I just breathe life in the car. I just say, you know what, guys, I'm so excited that we're on our way to school. I know, you know, Quinn, that when you go to school today, you're going to be so helpful to your teacher and be really cooperative. And I just want you to know, I see that quality in you and it makes me really proud of you. And I know it honors God, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'll just say a quick prayer for safety for their day. And in that prayer, I'm saying, Lord, thank you for Oliver that, you know, as a teenager, he doesn't just do what the crowd does at school in middle school. He's an uncommon kid and he's a light for you. And thank you that he's, you've given him his own mind that he can think for himself. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. And, And that's it. And you know what? Those seeds are being planted. I'm breathing life into them, but I'm also setting them up for success. And you know what happens every time I do that? I I get a note from the Sunday school teacher or from the teacher. I just want you to know, Quinn was so helpful for me today. You know, I get a message from Oliver's youth leader. Oliver's such a leader. You know, he really just comes up with his, these own ideas and these thoughts and contributes to conversations in ways that most kids his age don't do. And that does not happen by accident. We've got to breathe life into our kids and know that the triggers will always be there, but be optimistic and proactive and purposeful in breathing life into our kids and in our own attitudes. It's really important. I had, I had um, thought a while back about when, when rain comes down and uh, we live at the bottom of of a cul-de-sac, like literally at the bottom of the street and all the water runs down. So we see what erosion looks like on our property here in San Diego, California. And when the water comes down, it follows the same path each time, right? So it cuts deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper grooves into the hillside. And um, I heard it said that negative statements are received as positive statements. And this is what it means. Why do you always um, roll your eyes at me? Why do you always hit your brother? Why do you always bup, 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 and what they, they don't hear, why do you always, they hear, mm-hmm. you always do this. You always do this. You always do this. You always do this. You always They're forming back, an identity always, around it. And they, they, it is the self-fulfilling prophecy over mm-hmm. a child. Yep. And I, I don't, I don't know who's listening right now, but I just have a sense that there are probably some tears coming to eyes right now. Um, maybe because I feel them pricking in my own eyes. That tendency of negative correction actually drives deeper the groove, the pattern, the erosion even mm-hmm. of behavior more mm-hmm. into what you're telling them the behavior is. Now, you might be saying, I need you to stop throwing a fit each time I try to buckle you in the car seat. But their mind is hearing throw a fit each time 
she buckles me into the car seat. And so I don't want to camp out too long on the psychology, but the reality is if you can learn to do what, what Amber is modeling for us, as she calls it, flipping the script, right? What is Mm -hmm. the script that I'm speaking and how can I flip it? How can I turn it around? So I'm still saying the message. Yes, you have to stop throwing a fit, but if instead you're you're taking your daughter by the hand and say, I want to see what a big girl you are. Show me how you get in your seat and put your own arms through the buckle. And then I'll do the snap because um, one day soon you're going to be really strong and you're going to do that snap on your own. So let's practice it now. And you're saying the same thing. Don't throw a fit, but you're framing it in a this is your identity. This mm-hmm. is your behavior, um, because the truth is. Right now in this moment, we're talking about some practical things that you can do to get your kids' behavior better. But Amber and I, our real hearts aren't for the kids and their behavior. Our heart is for the mom and her behavior, even when she's triggered. So we're giving you some practical things. It's true. But I hope that above and beyond all, it is an invitation to consider your own behavior more than you consider your children's behavior. And when yeah. you follow Christ up into Christ's likeness, from there you get to invite your children to join you in that maturity rather mm. than to join them in the immaturity. Well, and if I jump back to our sports metaphor of the coach, I have a son too, so I just love sports metaphors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I think about a coach, how they prep to go into the game or the practice or whatever, they're looking at film, they're looking at the playbook and all that kind of stuff. And they're rehearsing what they need to do in creating their plan for their players. Right. And that's this idea of scripts and flipping things around, I think is so powerful for us that if we are meditating on those things in our own hearts and being aware of what those triggers are, and no, I want to say it this way this time, then we even feel that we're doing that practicing and that training for ourselves. I just, I have found that in some of the things that you all have shared because I've heard the same thing that you mentioned. If you say, don't jump on the table, then they're hearing jump on the table. Whereas if my, in my practice, I'm saying, please sit down, please sit on the chair. Like I'm giving the positive instruction. I'm focusing on what I can do or what they can do. And the, the positive side of that, rather than feeling the weight of the trigger of, I don't like that. And that in practicing things like scripts and that sort of thing, it just makes that, I feel that awareness come to mind so much more quickly of how often we are just like knee jerk reacting, but that just by thinking about how would I want to say this differently, that it's so empowering to say, oh, but I could, I could bring a suggestion actually into this situation. And then that is better received very often by our child because they actually have, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Not like if we just tell them, don't jump on the table, that doesn't tell me like, what should I do instead then? <laughs> I love that term right? you just used, yeah. that knee jerk reaction. And, and Amber and I use that term a lot. Um, but so often when our response, when our reaction is a knee jerk, um, just between, just between you and me, I mean, we oftentimes act like jerks. If your reaction is a knee jerk, that's kind of, that's kind of what you're acting like. And so Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the quotes from triggers is spend some time figuring out what you mean to say before you say Mm -hmm. something mean. And Mm -hmm. what Amber and I have discovered is so often we, as parents, we, we get to the end of the night and we, we flop down on our bed in a puddle of tears and we're surprised 
by how bad we behaved again. And there's so, mm-hmm. so much condemnation we just wallow in. Um, and yet we want to know that why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when honestly we're, our, our poor behavior was over the same stuff that we did poorly the day before? And their bad behavior was on brand, on point with what their bad behavior was the day before. And of course, Amber pointed out she was able to pinpoint 15 specific things that she knew we were doing yeah. wrong and she was responding to. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like the one thing. Mm-hmm. You can pinpoint. I mean, even right now, if you want to press pause on this podcast and go get a piece of paper and a pen, when Amber and I speak to uh, women's groups, mom's groups, we oftentimes will do this exercise. We'll say, go get a piece of paper and just write down one, two, three scenarios. What are those things you do or that they do that cause you to have that knee jerk reaction when you go to bed feeling like, why was I such a jerk? Um, write them down. Is it because they throw fits over, over broccoli at the table? Is it the getting the shoes on and getting out the door? Is it that they're older and they've gotten in the habit of lying? It, what Mm -hmm. is it? And then just jot them down. And then in a time that you're not mentally and emotionally uh, stressed out, just take it to the Lord and say, God, in your word, what does this, what, how do you respond to me? When I am wayward, how do you respond to your people when they are obstinate? How, well, how could that res- how could that response be my response so I can be more like you? And then actually write down a script, figure out what you mean to say before you say something mean, so that you can be prepared for those those times because we don't want to be jerks. But it doesn't happen just because you felt bad last night. You know, there's a verse that we love to claim about how God's mercies are new every morning. But you know what? I hit the wall when I hit that moment and said, yeah, but I'm just going to go to bed tonight and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to pick up those new mercies and I'm going to do the same dumb behavior until I make a better plan, God. So help me make a better plan again so that I can invite my kids to do right rather than joining them in the wrong behavior. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'd like to pause during our conversation here to tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that's available on the go through an app. And in that app, you can chat with your counselor, you can have video sessions, and just get some great insight when it comes to some of the things that might be triggering you when it comes to your parenting. If you have been thinking about Christian counseling and you'd like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can do that and actually get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. I love to also, so you just touched on lying a little bit, and that is something that I see in our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective, over and over and over again, is concerns about lying. And I find that this is a huge trigger for a lot of single moms because many of us have been on the receiving end of a lot of lying and manipulation 
and deception. And so when we start to see it in our kids, it freaks us out because we're just so afraid that they're going to start maybe walking in some of the things that have caused the destruction of a family unit. So I want to know if you would talk a little bit about that, especially for those women who do have preteens and teenagers who are starting to assert their independence in ways that maybe are not the most constructive. Some of this is developmentally appropriate. And then some of it is potentially a reaction to the way that we are parenting or the situation. Yeah. So this is a big topic, I think, for a lot of parents, if they feel, and you're right, Michelle, if you have a history of someone not being honest with you, you're much more sensitive to that issue in general. And so I think that's the first step is recognizing that there may be a a particular sensitivity to this trigger. And so therefore, we have to move away from the emotional to the logical um, when a child is lying to us. And one of the things that I had to recognize, again, Wendy and I, our focus is always ourselves. Okay, What what about me? In what ways am I not being honest? Am I even telling those little white lies? Um, am I making a promise to my child that I am not fulfilling? That, that is a lie. If I say to my child, I'm going to get you a puppy dog when you're in first grade, like I said to my son, and then I didn't do it and I didn't do it and I didn't do it. And he finally came to me one day and he said, mom, I'm beginning to think maybe you were lying to me about that mm-hmm. dog. And do you know how quickly we had a dog? Like that week, that week mm-hmm. we had a dog <laughs> in our house. Yeah. And, and so I just had to recognize you know, this is something that I need to examine in myself first. And, and then I need to be really um, careful to examine, am I in any way contributing to an environment because of my oversensitivity to this issue that might be actually creating an environment where my child feels it's necessary to lie to me? Now, listen, that's a spiritually mature thing to do. I'm not saying this is easy. And I, and I do not point fingers at anybody because this cha- I wrote this chapter in the book and I wrote it because I, I this was me. So I get it. I'm not judging anybody, but I knew that some of the things I was doing were contributing to my child's need to feel like they needed to be dishonest with me. Um, one of the verses in the, in the chapter on lying, it, it says, um, fathers, and this goes for mothers too, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Another verse, Colossians 3, 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And so I had to examine myself and say, is there any way that I'm embittering my child? Is there anything I'm doing that's not creating a safe environment for them to be honest with me? And I I say only when we create a safe environment for honesty, can we help our kids become truth tellers? Now, my kids know because we have practiced this over and over and over again. We had a family little conversation. If lying's an issue in your family, you need to come together with your children and say, hey, I think this is a little bit of an issue. Can we talk about this? I, I told my kids, I want you to know that if you tell me the truth, things will go well for you. I'm not going to punish you harshly when you come to me in humility and asking for forgiveness and telling me the truth. There may be some natural consequences, but that's life. We all experience that. But I want you to know it will go well for you in the end. Isn't that what the Lord does for me? How many times have I done what is wrong and he does not come at me with his hands on his hips and banish me to my room? 
I, I mean, I can think of a million times the Lord was long suffering with me in my immaturity, in my deceit, in my sin. That is how God parents me. I want to be that kind of mom. And so I had to look at that and say, am I creating a safe environment for my child to feel comfortable to tell me the truth? And if there's been a pattern of deception for a while, then we need to give it a while for a new pattern to take root. Mm -hmm. we, we need to have those conversations with our kids. One of the th first things I did when I saw this pattern in my child was they would say something to me and I would say, you know, son, I want to believe you. I really do. That's my heart. But I'm not totally sure if I do believe you. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm not sure if I believe you, but I sure love you. And I hope that what you're telling me is true because um, I want you to trust me. And I, and I want to be able to trust you. That, that's a godly quality. And then I drop it. I drop it. I don't, I don't have to every single time. Sometimes we also think that we have to dress everything. You talked to Michelle at the beginning about first-time obedience immediately. With and yet, you know what? Um, Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Mm. Wait a minute what mm -hmm. it's to uh -huh. my glory to, to <laughs> overlook an offense like I can do that um and it doesn't mean that we're involved in permissive parenting right it doesn't mean we're saying oh you just do whatever you want if you've read our books if you're listening to this message you know that we are very proactive parents we are very involved in teaching and training and coaching our kids we do offer consequences at appropriate times but we don't need to panic over every single wrongdoing. Imagine if somebody pointed mm. out to you what you did wrong every time you messed up. Mm -hmm. How would your heart feel? Yeah. I, it would be crushing. I was mm -hmm. crushing. I, I say in the book that um, you know harsh punishments, they, they crush our kids' hearts. But gentle parenting, it, it's going to breathe life into them. So it, there is a balance there of, first of all, let's start a conversation about honesty and truth. You know, let's, let's memorize a verse together about honesty and truth. Let me confess, confess to you, my son, my daughter, where I feel like I haven't been totally honest with you because I haven't been keeping my promises. And I recognize that's kind of deceptive. It is deceptive. And I apologize for that. I'm going to work on this. You know, would you partner with me, kiddo? And let's both work towards honesty together. Let's both grow in this because I'm learning too. Mommy's learning too. And then let's make steps in the right direction. But let's not fall into this, what I call churchical mindset because not necessarily, sometimes we get these churchical ideas that aren't necessarily biblical ideas. Mm -hmm. um, let's define the two and, and make sure that this thought that I have about having to be on harping on my kid at every little thing, is that really creating a safe environment? Is that kid going to want to come to me to bear their heart to me? Nope. You know what draws us to Savior? Loving kindness. Mm -hmm. It's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Mm -hmm. It's your loving kindness that's going to draw your child toward truth. It's that safe environment of unconditional love that's going to do that. And you know what? This is a moment of healing for you. This trigger, Wendy talked about it at the beginning. These triggers are opportunities. Mm -hmm. This isn't just about you figuring out this trigger. This isn't just about you training your child toward honesty. This is about God and the Holy Spirit healing you from that wound of dishonesty that's been in your own family. So let's invite the Holy Spirit in and see what he can do. I mentioned earlier that I have the tendency to make this parenting business about myself. 
and it's so much not. And I love that Amber just talked about healing because I've, I've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Wounded people inflict wounds. Yeah. Um, but forgiven people forgive people. Healed people are part of the healing of others. Um, and I would just say, if you have the tendency to live in a place of ongoing hurt, your reactions to others may also be hurtful. Um, and I know that you don't want to. And who wants to live in that place of ongoing hurt? So I know this isn't a uh, this isn't a message about um, what that needs to look for, but maybe an invitation to consider as you look at these triggers, what things may have to do with more about your wounds than really even the behavior of your children. And if you could separate those for a little bit, then invite the Lord to deal with those wounds. I remember in a season of my life where I was, I I was just living in a lot of pain and I was making poor choices based on my pain. And I walked, I went for a walk and I walked miles that day and I ended up at a church and it was a weekday and I walked into the sanctuary, which was the lights were all turned off, but there were stained glass windows and one of the depictions, one of the stories depicted in the um, stained glass was of Christ uh, showing his, his wounds. Mm. And the light that filtered into the sanctuary came through that picture. And I remember telling the Lord, God, I don't want to see the world through my wounds anymore. I want to see the world through your wounds. And I think the the application for us is, Lord, I don't want to parent from my wounds anymore. I want to parent from a place of your wounds because my wounds will only wound, but your wounds heal. Hmm. Your wounds, the purpose of your wounds was to heal, but my wounds keep hurting me and my beloveds. Mm -hmm. And so Lord, heal me because of what you did, what you, Mm -hmm. you know, what your wounds accomplished for my sake and let me parent healed rather than wounded. That is so, so powerful, especially for those of us who are as single parents, we're parenting through brokenness. We're parenting through this very wounded season and we don't want to take it out on our kids, but sometimes it just becomes so prevalent. It becomes a part of the way that we're just looking out at the world and it's causing us to just wish that it was different, wish that we could go back or whatever that it is. But when we can realize the healing that's already ours, it's so much easier to extend that and to take these situations, whether it's lying or disrespect or whatever it is that we can look at them, as you've said in the book, as opportunities to not only help in the healing way that we connect with our kids, but get our own healing that we can say, you know what, I can look at this different. I don't have to freak out about this. And I think that's my tendency is to look at one thing that my kids do and go, oh no, I'm blowing it. Oh no, this is, they're, they're marked, they're doomed, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's just, we can pull these back. We can look at them as one-offs or like, oh wow, this is a place where I really maybe need to look at, as you said, you know, my own 
my own tendency to deceive or even my own tendency to make an unsafe environment. And I think that's the thing for me is I think I'm pretty straightforward with my kids, but I don't, can't say that I've always made the environment one that's full of loving kindness so that my child would want to be honest with me and feel that there's healing that comes from me rather than more hurt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to kind of segue into the next thing I want to ask you about, our kids are hurt too. And they are very often having these huge emotions. They are angry. They're disrespectful. And sometimes they don't trust us. Sometimes it's, they look at us, if, especially if there was like a divorce or something that happened and they're, they, they blame us and say, you ruined my life. You let this happen to me, whatever the case would be. So in those times where our kids are angry and disrespectful and having big emotions and big reactions, how can we continue this point that we're talking about now so that we're a much safer place for our kids to land when it comes to them working through that hurt? Just keep doing the good parenting. That's what, when people say, how do I do this? How do I, how do I keep doing this? What's, what's going to make a difference? How do I, you know, help my child? We just tell them, just keep doing the good parenting. Just keep modeling, you know, keep, keep doing the things that, that you know, that you need to receive when you're in their shoes and, and recognize like Wendy has already pointed out, you know, we're not victims um, and we're not to blame for everything either. You know, we can't take too much credit or too much blame. And I think it's important to recognize that, that Mm -hmm. God loves our kids more than we do. I mean, do we realize that? Do you, do you realize that God is pursuing them? Mm -hmm. He is chasing hard after your child. Wendy and I were just talking about that this week together uh, on our Voxer about how we so want and long for our kids to have hearts for the Lord and to pursue him and to, and to feel whole in him, but they have their own journey. And so be cautious to not take too much credit or too much blame and just keep doing the good parenting. Keep praying for your child, keep loving them unconditionally and recognize that every challenging moment with your child can be a victory for you even if it's not for them, they may struggle and struggle and struggle. And every time that you are with them in that struggle, you mom can still be victorious in your response, in your attitude, even if your child is not. Their sin, their emotion, their angry reaction will never justify your own. Mm -hmm. But you can have victory in those moments. Don't grow weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Love them well. Just keep doing the good parenting. Pray for them. That is so freeing, what you just said about don't take too much of the blame. I feel like that, when your life doesn't go as planned and you're taking your kids down that broken road with you, that's absolutely what our tendency is to do, is to accept so much of that blame. And I want to piggyback actually on that because Amber, you have a quote from the book that I just love. And it says, don't allow the devil to convince you that your legacy is fixed. And when I read that, I was like, wow, because some of us feel like I have done too much damage or my kids are too old. They're older teenagers or they're young adult age that it's done. And I love that you are fighting for us in, in writing that to say, no, uh, no, it's not. And so I want to know if you'll elaborate a little on what 
how you came to that realization and then what that's meant for you in your own journey. Yeah, I, I say that there's no generational sin that is a match for the God of all generations, right? We, we have a God of all generations, all powerful, almighty. He is our legacy maker, not, not us, ultimately at, at the end of the day. You know, I, I came from a background, I talk about this in Parenting Triggers. I really go into it in a more specific way. Um, my husband and I wrote a book called Marriage Triggers that came out this year. And I, I talk a little bit more in depth there about my own childhood and upbringing. And it was challenging. And, and I recognized there were generations behind me of angry parenting, strong dysfunction. I mean, we came out of a strict religious cult, legacy of terrible alcoholism, lots of abuse in many different forms. And man, I was headed on that same path. That, that was my legacy. And my parents did a lot of things well. They were wonderful parents in many ways, but, but it was hard. And I was determined. And, and Wendy she, she has a similar story in that she wanted to do some things differently than, than her own experience growing up. You know, we both talk about that, but I, I just recognized, I was like, you know what, when I look in scripture, I see over and over again, that, that God is a holy disruptor, you know, leaning into our relationship with God. It's this holy disruption to a broken pattern of my past. We cannot believe and buy into the lie that this is your legacy, that today is going to look just like tomorrow, that your past is going to fix your future. It's just a lie. It's just not true. And I'm just really bent out of shape at Satan, which is what righteous anger is. It's not directing our anger toward our kids. It's directing our anger towards Satan, our enemy. It's like, I'm mad at him. I'm really mad at him that he's trying to tell us that we can't change, that that your kid's 17, too late. Like, where do you see that? Like, who's telling you that? What chatter is in your head that's telling you that, that you can't have hope? That's not the God I know. That's not what I read in scripture. Your story is not over yet. Your child's story is not over yet. As long as you wake up tomorrow and there are new mercies every day, it's not over. You get to create a new legacy moving forward. Now, I'm not going to tell you that's going to be easy all the time. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's not going to take any effort. It's not going to take any uh, reflection and, and fasting. You know, Wendy does a sugar fast every year and, and she just so beautifully talks about, you know, doing something very, very specific and intentional to draw close to the Lord in, in the idea of fasting. You know, if that, if you feel like this has been a legacy for you and that's a concern for you, then get, Get in, get into some fasting, you know, lean in with the Lord and tell him your fears and your concerns, and then ask him to speak truth to your heart and mind. And then wake up tomorrow, you and the Holy Spirit get to partner together to create a new legacy. What a gift. What a gift that you get to be the disruptor to that pattern. You talk about a lot as well about conviction being something that should catapult us, that conviction can be something that really opens our eyes and opens the doors. And I've found in my own walk with my kids that that conviction very often, while I do then sort of re-get, re-up in my receiving of God's forgiveness, it then allows me to go 
more vulnerably to my kids. And I think that's one of the things that you guys are hitting on quite a lot is that we can be vulnerable with our kids and tell them these are places I've made mistakes. These, this is a place where I need your forgiveness and that there's so much of a bond that if we have walked down a road that we're not proud of, or we have made mistakes and those types of things that we can acknowledge that, and we can acknowledge the pain it has caused our kids. And in acknowledging that there's freedom for expression, freedom of giving and receiving of grace and so much understanding, but that very often, if we're just trying to like, oh, well, I'll just wake up today and pretend like nothing happened. And I'll just try to change some new thing, you know, change some things that maybe nobody will notice that there's something not, not genuine about that connection. And that we do have in those vulnerable spaces, just that chance for grace to flow freely in our relationships with our kids. And in, in wanting to make changes and to take maybe things that we've, patterns we've grown up in and generational sin and to make change. Very often I find with myself, with the women that I'm speaking to, there's this concern though that just by nature of maybe they're not being a father or a father figure or something like that, that our kids are deficient now. They're going to miss out on something. So no matter how much I might work to change something that it's just not going to be enough. And Wendy, this is something that you touch on very powerfully in a chapter called Going It Alone. And I loved this chapter because I felt it was so real when it comes to the single parent struggle. And in it, you talk about how being raised without a dad actually increased a reliance on God and an opportunity there for faith to grow. So I wanted to know if you would share a bit more about that experience for you growing up that way. Yeah, I was I was very, very young, two years old when my parents uh, separated and then divorced. And um, while my dad lived close by and was actually very involved in our lives, um, I had a very... Um, abandoned hole in my heart. And, um, I'm 47 now. And right now I'm, I'm really experiencing a relationship with my dad for the first time in my life that feels very, um, special and healing and whole and wonderful. And I'm, I'm, I'm full of gratitude. It's, I'm just so, so, so grateful for it. However, um, I had an experience growing up where the Lord really was everything he promises to be in his word. And even though Amber um, wasn't raised in a, in a family uh, with divorced parents, she had a lot of holes in her life. So it really doesn't matter. I think we all do, mm-hmm. but specifically for, for um, single moms, I, I know that we're applying it this way, but I just want you to hear me say that we are all broken people with holes and the Lord, he doesn't love that we have holes, but he knows what to do with them. And he pours himself into those empty, broken places and he makes us whole. And when we yield to his presence in our holes, it doesn't just make us whole. It makes us holy. And when we grow up and I'm talking about you, 30 something year old mom growing up in the midst of this and your child growing up in the midst of this brokenness. But when we grow up uh, desperate for Christ to be who he said he is, our savior, our companion, our, our friend that sticks closer than a brother, our nearest good. When we grow up desperate for him, 
we are most blessed. People look at me all the time and say, Wendy, your, your faith is so strong. How do I grow a faith like your faith? And I just guffaw and say, well, apparently I needed him more than most people. I clung to him so strong that my fingers still haven't loosened. You know, if you're going to grab onto something, it better be the hem of his garment. We've all got issues. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. We've all got issues. And she reached out and took hold of him and his power flew into her. And, um, and our kids have that same opportunity to reach out and grab hold of Jesus. And he will flow into those holes and make them whole and make them holy. And you can take that to the bank. So often we want to point our wounded finger at the one who wounded us but let's point our fingers instead at the one who heals our wounds and say, we are desperate for you, Jesus. I trust you with my wounds and I trust you to be my child's savior. Yeah. And he was mine. And I held so tenaciously to, to him that in a way it's like my, have you ever held on to something so long and so hard that you try to loosen your grip, but your hands are kind of like crippled in that mm -hmm. position, you know, whether you're holding on to a rope water skiing behind a boat um, and you, you know, you let, you let go and your hands are kind of still curled in that position. That's what my life looks like. I'm mm -hmm. still tenaciously holding to Christ because I needed him at nine. When I, when I started to fear, oh no, he stopped loving my mom. He's going to stop loving me. Michelle, can, can I just say one final thing to the single parent who yes. especially just feels very um, inadequate, like, uh, but I'm only one parent. How, what, you know, cause it piggybacks on what Wendy's sharing, you know, she, mm -hmm. she didn't have those two parents in the home like that. And yet God did an amazing thing in her life. You know, mm -hmm. that's such a blessing. The Lord used it. But listen, I, people will tell me, ask me this all the time because even married couples, they'll, they'll say to me, but what if my spouse isn't doing this? What if they're still yelling at my child? What if we're mm -hmm. parenting very differently? And very so you may be in a situation where your kids are um, in another situation where they're getting one thing here and another thing in your home as mm -hmm. you're trying to apply some of this. And I just want to give you encouragement that never, ever underestimate the impact and the power of even just one parent that is willing to work on their triggers and parent from a place of loving kindness yes. and gentle parenting. Do not underestimate that. There are lots of homes where there are two parents that are not doing that. It is not necessarily about you just being one parent and it's not going to be enough. God is enough. So you do you and you release the other person, the other situation, or the hole that you think is there to God. You yes. cannot change that. You can only do you. Like Wendy talks about that in our parenting scripts book, you do you. And so please be encouraged. It, don't feel like there is a lack and that it's your fault. And that shaming that Wendy was just talking about. Trust the impact of one parent who's willing to obey God and, and lean in to these gentle biblical parenting methods. So beautifully put by both of you. I'm so incredibly encouraged in this moment right now. I'm just, it's just flowing right now that 
realization that there's so much ahead. And I think that's just so much what I'm grabbing from what you're saying is there's so much more ahead and so much more that God wants to do in the brokenness. And that's something that we just repeat a lot on the podcast, but it's just beautiful the way that you'll put it. Thank you so much. As we close here, I want to know if you would tell listeners how they can follow along with you and keep up with some of the things that you have upcoming. One of the ways that you can follow Amber and um, me together is by finding us on Facebook at Am- uh, Gentle Parenting with Amber and Wendy. That's really a great way to connect with us. Um, our book triggers exchanging parents' angry reactions for gentle biblical responses. The easiest place to get that, of course, is Amazon, and it'll be with you in two days. <laughs> um, and then the follow-up book is Parenting Scripts. Uh, if what you're saying isn't working, we give you scripts to say something new. A lot of women say, well, you know, sometimes I feel I feel bad for how I react to my kids. And we say, get a, a copy of Triggers. Other women say, I go to bed every night feeling cruddy about it. And to those women, I say, grab a copy also of the Triggers Study Guide. You can get that on Amazon. It works almost like a like a accountability partner. And you can grab one of those gals too, you know, a friend that you want to journey through your triggers with. Um, It'll take you deeper into the scriptures because God says that when we abide in his word, his word abides in us, he abides in us. And when he abides in us, we begin to bear the fruit of his personality. He rubs off on us with gentleness and kindness. So those are some practical ways, but also you can find Amber on both Instagram and, um, and Facebook at Mother of Nights or Amber Leah, if you search her up. And then Wendy Speak, uh, you can find me there as well. We also have a website together called amberandwendy.com. And you can actually get little 10-minute training videos there, teaching videos that work through triggers and parenting scripts as well. Terrific. And I will link to all of those in the show notes to make it even easier for listeners to find you. But thank you so, so much. Thank you for having us. God bless you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. I have recommended Amber and Wendy's Triggers book to so many of my friends because it has been truly transformational in the way that I have approached parenting my kids. It has helped me to see the triggers that I have, see their triggers, and just not get sucked into them. You know, I feel like I can walk into these situations with a plan of action and a clear head, and it has really influenced the temperature in my home. In addition to linking to their resources in the show notes, I will also have links to some of the resources I have developed through Agape Moms to help you on your journey as well. One of those is our social media. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Agape Moms and access our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. There, all you have to do is go to the Facebook page, look for the groups tab, and then you can submit a request to join us. Also, there's a link to the Agape Moms YouTube channel. I've now developed a weekly devotional that is a guided meditation to take some of what we're learning here on the podcast and start to apply it into our daily lives. I'm so thankful that you could join me here for this episode. I pray that it has given you just maybe some excitement about dealing with some of these frustrating areas and some sense that you can do this. You can give your kids the structure and the boundaries that they need 
And you could spend more time perhaps being the fun mom that you want to be instead of maybe having to always kind of be the heavy. As you go through that process, though, I know that it's, it's a little bumpy in trying to figure it out. And in it all, I would pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.